Before we get started tonight, let's just go to our Father in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this truth that we have in your word, this truth that we have tonight as we come to you in prayer. Father, enlighten our minds tonight. Help us to understand this in a deeper way. And Father, we pray that we will go out this week, this month, this year, and we will pray our Father in heaven with great faith and great confidence that you are a God who can and that you are a God who cares. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. We begin our study of the Lord's Prayer by looking at the first line where we find the addressee, the one to whom we pray, our Father in heaven. And you can find this in Matthew 6, 9, and this prayer is also in Luke eleven two. Matthew 6, 9, or Luke eleven two. It is worth noticing that every request listed in this prayer and every request implied by this prayer depends on the addressee. To whom are we praying? Who is listening? Does he care to listen? Is he able to listen and to respond to us? And who are we to think that we can make any requests to him? It seems to me that without a definitive and indeed adequate answer to these questions, there is no basis for prayer at all. And we are just engaging in some kind of religious activity or what might be called an opiate for the masses or maybe a crutch to hold up our weak and feeble lives in times of distress. But that is not the case at all. So tonight what I want, you, what I want to do is I want to show you in a very basic way that there is something special about Christian prayer and that it has everything to do with the addressee and our relationship to him. But first, if you want to get a mental picture of what's going on in these words, imagine for me, if you will, a cross. So the horizontal beam reminds us that we pray to our Father in heaven. That although we often pray individually, we never pray individualistically or selfishly, but we always pray in light of and for our brothers and sisters in Christ, who also are part of this family of God. The vertical beam, as it points upward, reminds us that we pray to our Father in heaven, that he is immeasurably greater than we are, that he is the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, invisible, immortal, and unchanging, supreme Lord of all, that he is always a God who can, who can act. And at the center of this cross, there we imagine the suffering, dying Son of God. And it is there that we find what it means that God is our Father. So it's this idea, God being our Father, that I want to focus in on tonight. What an awesome mystery this is, that God, God, the creator of the universe, the infinite and eternal I am, would consider us objects of wrath, sinful and selfish human beings, that he would consider us his children. So what does this tell us about God, about us, and about our prayers? These are the questions that I want to entertain tonight. So first, what does this tell us about God and about us? Well, you know, there are a lot of things that I could say about God being our Father. Unlike weak and fallible earthly fathers, He always cares. He always provides. He nurtures. He seeks our welfare. He protects. He instructs. He disciplines. He guides and directs. He loves us. He forgives us, he blesses us, and he gives us an eternal 
inheritance. To put it simply, we are the object of his mercy and compassion at every moment of every day, even, even when we live as prodigal sons. But the fact that God is our Father tells us far more about Jesus than it does anything else. Shortly before Jesus gives this prayer to his disciples in the Gospel of Luke, he says these words, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And catch this, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It is through Christ and in Christ, the Son of God and only rightful heir, that we who believe in him have come to belong to God in this same way. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, who is the new Adam, the embodiment of Israel, the promised Messiah, the eternal Son of the Father. And therefore, and only on this basis, having been united to him, can we now be called the children of God. See, what I'm telling you is that we have to become brothers and sisters of Jesus in order to become children of Jesus' Father. So in light of this, as we pray tonight, there are two specific reasons why we can be confident that when we pray, we are truly praying to our Father. You know, I'm convinced that that's the problem with our prayer lives, is that when we pray, we don't really believe that we're praying to our Father. And so tonight, I, I hope to give you two reasons why you can be confident that you are, in fact, praying to your Father when you pray. First, he faithfully raised his son, Jesus, from the dead. And he exalted him above all things and seated him at his right hand. The resurrection of Jesus, Paul says in Romans 4, 1, 4, proves that God is Jesus' Father. Okay, so we understand that there's God and there's Jesus, and God is the Father of Jesus, who is the Son. But how does this relate to us? How do we get wrapped up, if you will, in this father-son relationship that God and Jesus have? Well, that leads to the second reason why we can be confident tonight that we pray to our Father. And that is that the Holy Spirit, who was given to Jesus by his Father when he was exalted, has now been poured out by Jesus on us who believe, forever uniting us with this risen Son. As Paul explains in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is our assurance that we belong to Jesus. And Jesus is our assurance that God has now become our Father also. We're born again in Christ and adopted as children of God when we receive this promised Holy Spirit. And the Spirit himself is the seal, the guarantee that this adoption has indeed happened. And that we have an inheritance to look forward to. In fact, Paul speaks of our adoption as sons, not at our conversion, but at the redemption of our bodies. So the seal of the Holy Spirit tells us one day our bodies will be redeemed and we will fully be adopted as the children of the Lord. It is this hope, this Christ-purchased and Christ-centered hope, that rings out every time we begin our prayers with the words, Our Father. To say it another way, the gospel is most exquisitely proclaimed in these words. So now that we've looked at what the words our Father tell us about God and about us, now we ask, what do these words tell us about our prayers? Our prayers tonight, our prayers during our business meeting, our prayers tomorrow morning when we wake up, our prayers that we do, as Paul says, when we pray without ceasing. What do these words tell us about those prayers? Well, first, I want to, well, I want to submit to you just very quickly three things 
that these words tell us about our prayers. Number one, they tell us that Jesus is at the center of our lives and our prayers. Find him and you find the Father. Trust and abide in him and he will make his Father your Father. And his inheritance of eternal glory, your inheritance of eternal glory. So tonight, let's make our prayers Christ-centered. You know, these words don't evoke the idea of some fuzzy father in the sky, some generic God or some distant deity. No, they tell us of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, let's exult in this Jesus, our brother and our Lord. And let's pray tonight to the end that he be glorified, that he be exalted in our hearts, in the hearts of our neighbors, in the hearts of the people in this city, in the hearts of the people in this nation, and in the hearts of those who've never heard about this great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who sent his only son to die for our sins. Secondly, these words tell us that we have complete and, in, complete and intimate access to this God who created us and who loves us. So prayer is a matter of intimate fellowship characterized by openness, joy, and delight. We call him Abba, Dad, praying with the affection and confidence of little children. This obliterates the idea that prayer is some kind of religious duty, and it begs us to taste and see what a feast for the heart that prayer to our Father can be. So let's pray tonight as his dependent and joyful little children. Let's, let's pray tonight consciously that we are praying to a God who sees us always as his dependent children who are in need of him. And thirdly, and finally tonight, these words tell us that he cares for us more than anyone else ever could. They tell us that he cares for us even more than we care for ourselves. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. This destroys fear and worry. It destroys any anxiety that we might have tonight as, as we think about moving forward as a church. And it replaces it with a firm knowledge that we go through this life, as it were, in the lap of our Father who never fails to seek our good and provide what we need. And so now what? Well, tonight, as we pray, may freedom and faith replace fear. And may delight replace duty as we openly cry out to our Father to glorify His name among us. And this week, individually, why not meditate on and pray these words as you're walking, driving, waiting for a bus, washing dishes, or just taking a moment out of your day. Thank Him Thank our Father that He has given us, brothers and sisters, to encourage us, to love us, to pray for us in times of need. And that He he is sovereignly in control of His universe that He created. And thank Him most importantly that He has gathered you to His own heart by adopting you as His child through the death and resurrection of His beloved Son. Amen.